0: Listening to the Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by New Altra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name's Harriet Smith, and I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the importance of nutrition within the fire service, including discussions around food provision in the fire brigade and the impact of prioritizing nutrition for firefighters. This episode will also explore nutrition-related health issues that firefighters may experience, and delve deeper into the role of nutritionists and how they can support the health and well-being of firefighters. To discuss this interesting topic, I'm delighted to be joined by a registered nutritionist and health improvement lead at the Firefighter Charity, Dr. Greg Lessons. Greg's unique academic and professional background prepared him perfectly for this role. As his msc and phd research resulted in the first uk fire station based nutrition intervention the first dietary assessment tool validated for uk firefighters and the first firefighter body composition reference charts so without further ado i'll hand over to you greg to tell us a bit more about yourself
1: thanks harriet for the lovely introduction uh, so yes um i'm a health improvement lead for the firefighters charity uh, that's uh, a charity which supports the health and well-being of the fire service community. And that encompasses all of our serving firefighters in the UK, uh, their families and the retired firefighters. Uh, so quite a broad range of people and range of demographics that we uh, help. Uh, before that, I was a nutritionist for London Fire Brigade uh, for, for about three years. Uh, and I went around fire stations in London imparting dietary advice, trying to improve uh, the dietary behaviour of firefighters. And uh, I did my MSc and PhD whilst at London Fire Brigade there. And prior to that, I was a firefighter for 17 years. Uh, so I think that's given me a really nice grounding uh, and understanding of what makes firefights tick and all of the practicalities uh, that you need to consider when uh, you know designing dietary interventions and so forth.
0: Great, well, thank you so much for joining us, Greg. Really interested to hear more about your quite unique career journey to date. Just before we go into discuss our main topics today, I'd like to do our quick fire round of questions so that we can get to know you a bit better. So being The Dietitian Cafe, number one has to be, what is your favorite meal of the day?
1: I would say uh, dinner, um, because breakfast and lunch are fairly standard for me. Porridge in the morning, and then normally eggs in the afternoon. So, yeah, I get to mix it up at dinner time.
0: Sounds good. And talking food, um, where was your last holiday, and what kind of food did you eat on your last holiday?
1: It's quite recent. Portugal, um, playing a bit of golf. And uh, I ate a lot of steak, actually, um, which was very nice. Some fish as well, in particular sardines, which Portugal is quite famous for. So uh, some omega-3s and and calcium going on there.
0: Yeah, I always think of um, sardine pate in Portugal when you go to the restaurants, they always give you these lovely little sardine pates that you can just pop into your handbag and maybe sneak one or two home after. (laughs) (laughs) And my final question, what's your go-to coffee order?
1: Uh, Nespresso espresso, uh, and I normally get a combination of uh, Stormio, Melosio, and half Caffeinito uh, to get me through the day.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. So we're going to delve into your day-to-day routine now in a bit more detail. But just before we we go into your your sort of day-to-day role, can you tell us if you've always had an interest in nutrition and what sparked that interest for you?
1: I've always been interested in fitness and health since I was quite young. Um, did my first degree in exercise and sports sciences, and um, I think nutrition came about in my life probably in my early twenties. Um, so Once I, you know, I started in the fire brigade at the age of twenty-one, and um, I just to kind of try and fit in with my watch with my team of other rest of the firefighters on my watch. Um, I just obviously ate. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner with them, and uh, because the portion sizes are pretty pretty big, and I'm not that big myself, you know, I'm about five foot eight with shoes on. Um, I just tried to eat as much as them, and before long, started to put on some weight, and uh, realised that I needed to sort that out. So I started looking at you know what I could do in terms of nutrition, and um, after I suppose a few years. I became, I suppose, the unofficial go-to person on on the watch that I was serving on in terms of, you know, what's healthy, so people had come to me for advice if they wanted to lose weight or if they just wanted to be healthier. And I realised if I'm going to start giving that kind of advice, I should probably absolutely know what I'm talking about. So that's when I went back to uni, uh, studied a Master's in Nutrition. Uh, So that started in 2015. And then it just grew from there, really, and then went on to the PhD, and uh, went a lot further than I ever expected.
0: Absolutely, and, and now you're with the Firefighters' Charity, so you're continuing on that trajectory. And um, we heard in the introduction, you just mentioned now that you obviously started your career as a firefighter, so that gives you a really unique insight into the workforce and their nutritional needs. Can you just? take a step back and talk us through what does a typical day actually look like for a firefighter? And I appreciate it probably isn't a typical day, but what's their mm. sort of routine like?
1: Okay. So turn up, you know, about between eight or nine thirty, depending on which fire brigade you're working for, whatever their day shift start time is. And um, you'll have roll call. So everyone will uh, sort of, kind of stand to attention and they'll be given their duties uh for the day so in terms of if you go out to an incident um you have predefined responsibilities uh, so you know you may be driving the fire engine or you may be going into a fire if there's a, a fire to fire in ter- you know wearing breathing apparatus and so on so those responsibilities are ruled off uh, and then you do a series of checks on the fire engine so you you test your equipment your breathing apparatus equipment uh, certain pieces of equipment on the fire engine to ensure everything's operationally ready uh, in case there's a shout or an emergency call. Uh and then there's normally a little bit of just sitting down having a cup of tea um just you know the bonding team bonding that's followed by some some kind of training so uh, that could look like putting up ladders in the yard at the fire station yard it could be um you know going through different procedures uh that could be even demolishing a car you know to try and um mimic extricating a casualty from a a crashed vehicle um so after the training there's normally some lunch uh, and then that's followed by a home fire safety inspection so that could be just going out to residential homes, and uh, checking that they're fire safe, uh, providing fire alarms and any advice that that may be uh, necessary there. Or it could be on a commercial premises, um, inspecting a pub or uh, any kind of venue, really, where the public congregate or um, a workplace, just to make sure they're fire safe. And then you get back from that normally late afternoon, um, do you maybe go in the gym for an hour or two between four and six? And then in the old days, when I was a firefighter, we kind of finished at about that point, so six o'clock, as long as we weren't out on a call, obviously, um, we'd finish around six. But things have changed and the finish time's gone back a bit. So now there's an evening meal at the fire station on a day shift. And this used to be on the, on, the, on the night shift, the evening meals, but now they've been moved to the days and the days finish at about eight o'clock. So typically they're about 12-hour day shifts now. Uh, a night shift's quite different from a day shift. So you'll start about eight o'clock, depending on which brigade you're working for. Um, you may have some, well, you'll, you'll go through your checks just as you would on a day shift. You'll have roll call. Um, And then, again, you'll probably have a cup of coffee or tea just to, uh, you know, a bit bit of team bonding. And then maybe a little bit of desktop training or, you know, have a lecture. So going through some kind of uh, theory to do with uh, firefighting. And then there'll be um, probably some light snacks and then that's it. You, You know, stand down time from about midnight till about 7am so you're only going to be attending emergency calls during those hours Uh, you get up at around 7am go down have breakfast with everyone um, and then just start preparing to go home basically so yeah that's how it goes
0: So either way, it sounds like they're quite long days or nights rather. Um, And I imagine that fuel and nutrition is important to get you through those long shifts.
1: Absolutely. I'd say roughly half of your dietary intake uh, is had on duty or at the fire station. Uh, So really, you know, if that's not right, then, you know, you can see how things can go downhill.
0: Let's go back to the food provision in the fire service. So you mentioned that a lot of your main meals are consumed whilst you're at work with your colleagues. Um, Do people tend to bring their own food in? Is there on-site catering? How does that work?
1: It it works uh, at fire stations a bit like it would in a family home. Uh, So you'll have um, one person who's responsible for purchasing the food uh, on a budget. um, So they'll collect money from all of the rest of the watch and then they'll kind of devise a little menu themselves, go out, get the food, prepare the food. Um, so yeah, it's some, some people will bring in their own food, but most I would say would be part of what we call the mess. So that is the kind of collective foods group, if you like. Um, and they'll all eat together and, um, so, yeah, some people who are particularly health conscious or have certain dietary needs might cater for themselves. But I'd say 80% of firefighters will be part of the mess. So really, it's up to this one individual, the mess manager, uh, to decide on what food is bought and what's cooked
0: so that's quite a lot of responsibility for the mess manager then. Um do they get any support with nutritional um information because I know you mentioned earlier that perhaps some firefighters may have a tendency to overeat if that meals readily available. So do the mess managers get any nutritional training as it currently stands?
1: Uh the short answer to that is no. Um it, it, it they've just basically the, the way mess managers have been chosen or been elected, is that you know they've expressed that they would like to do it to the rest of their watch, and um, as long as the watch are happy with them being the mess manager, then uh, that that's their role. Um, but they obviously still go to fires and they're, they're part of the watch, um, but they've got that added responsibility of uh, getting the foods, um, and that was and that's where you get a lot of variation. In the quality uh, of food environments at fire stations, depending on who is that mess manager and what their interest is in nutrition, what their background might be. Some people have got you know a real keen interest in nutrition, and that, and they do very very healthy menus for their teams. Um, others um, don't don't have that interest and um, simply cook tasty food that that's kind of like a crowd pleasing meal um, you know just to keep everyone happy but that isn't always necessarily the healthiest option uh and the main thing the main the, go- the golden rule for any mess manager is to make sure there's enough of it because um firefighters have big appetites and if the food runs out you know there's hell to pay so um you know that th- these are the things which have led by and large st- the fire service down the wrong road in terms of um weight gain uh, and like I say, it's not everyone. Um, there is a lot of personal responsibility, but as we all know, the food environment is crucial uh, in terms of um, keeping our body composition in check. And uh, I think it's very, very varied depending on you know, the fire station and the watch that you look at.
0: That's very interesting. So in your opinion, why is it important that firefighters consider nutrition and what's the impact of prioritizing nutrition in the fire service?
1: Well, um, you, the the role of a firefighter has been termed as an uh, in, industrial athlete or a tactical athlete, if you use like an American term. Uh, so, you know, if you look at what they may be called upon to do, uh, it's very athletic and takes a lot of energy. Like I said earlier, a lot of muscular strength, muscular endurance, cardiorespiratory fitness, just all round. Um, fitness and, and a lot of energy, uh, so it's crucially important for that. Um, but also, I think considering that the roles become more sedentary over the years, it's quite important to also balance that with um, public health nutrition. So, not just making sure they're ready from it, from an energy perspective, um, but also, you know, that they're not steadily gaining body fat over time so it's a bit of a balance to strike there i think
0: and i'm really interested to hear about your time when you were working as a nutritionist for the london fire brigade can you tell us a bit more about what that role involved for example were you involved in reducing instances of particular health conditions what did that job look like for you
1: so it was um Basically uh, an extension of the MSC uh, pilot trial that I ran at a couple of fire stations back in 2017. Um, And that just took uh, two fire stations. One was the intervention group. One was the control group. And uh, I delivered dietary advice to each individual of uh, the intervention fire station. And uh, I measured their body composition at the beginning and and at the end, and also their dietary behavior using an FFQ. And, just measured the dietary behavior and the body composition changes of the control group. And that had significant improvements in both dietary behavior and body composition. So a very simple 15, 20 minute one-to-one uh, nutritional consultation based upon their uh, responses on their FFQs and also their risk factors in terms of their body composition uh, and then just uh, monitored it over that month. And it, it seemed to do quite well. So then when it came to rolling it out on a bigger level, and when I became the uh, fire brigade nutritionist, I incorporated a group education component. Uh, so get just delivering a PowerPoint presentation to the watch uh, on nutrition and health. Uh, and that covered all of the main bases in terms of the macronutrients, um, how non-communicable diseases uh, and the risk of them can be mitigated by nutrition or exacerbated by nutrition. Um, And then that's followed by the one-to-one dietary advice, the uh, measuring body composition, and then just repeat the measurements periodically over time and then tweak the advice as needed so, um, yeah, that was essentially what I did for three years, I would say.
0: And in terms of the results that you you found from your research, um, how has that helped to move forward with the health and well-being of the fire brigade?
1: Well, um, first of all, the, uh, the, the outputs from the research include the fir- first validated uh, FFQ, Um, for that population group. So it offers health practitioners in in the fire service, a very simple and effective way of um, looking at dietary behaviour of firefighters and monitoring that if they wish. Um, Also, the other big output was the um, body composition reference charts that were created. Um, So this is just uh, an improvement upon the BMI system, which is particularly flawed for firefighters because they carry more skeletal muscle than the general population. And I think most of us know as nutritionists and dietitians that um, that's quite an antiquated way of measuring um, health risk uh, because it's not looking at muscle mass or body fat. It's just purely looking at body weight. Um, but then I'd say beyond that, you know, I've got the first um, published dietary intervention uh, trials, So there's some data there to you know, kind of support the, the use of these interventions.
0: And I'm interested to hear, did your research have much impact on the mess managers who you mentioned are responsible for preparing the meals? Um, did that information you were giving filter through to them, do you think?
1: it is? and actually one of the uh, components that I added to the intervention uh, in the end was a uh, mess manager kitchen-based cookery workshop. Uh, So that was just showing uh, groups of five or six mess managers um, some simple ways of incorporating better ingredients into commonly eaten fire station meals. So using whole grains and making whole grains taste good, um, you know, cooking soups and sauces from scratch rather than relying on jars, which are full of um, fat, salt and sugar. And uh, and that had a really good effect, actually. And I, I wrote a recipe book, uh, which kind of went along with that. So um, I issued the mess managers that I came into contact with that book. And, uh, you know, they benefited from the workshop. And, and that had a significant improvement in uh, the food environment. So I measured before and after in a controlled trial. And there was a, um, I think, something like, I want to say a seventy or seventy-five percent improvement in the use of whole grains uh, uh, on those watches, on the intervention watches, which is huge. Uh, also, smaller plates were being used in in some of those kitchens, and I think over time, the the size of plates had just been growing uh, to the point where they're like dustbin lids. Uh, so, <laughs> we managed to reinstate the smaller plates at these fire stations, which was quite quite helpful. And uh, and the feedback was great. You know, um, uh, there was one watch in particular that, that I remember in East London that were pretty much cooking exclusively out of my cookery book for a while. So uh, that was it was really lovely to see that it had a bit of an impact here. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like it had a huge impact. And um, for people listening who are interested in this research that you've conducted, is there somewhere that they can go to find out more about it? Is it um, open access, for example?
1: Um, there's, There's one paper that I've published in full, which is the Body Composition Reference Charts, um and um i'm guessing the link will be in the description that's not open access i'm afraid um but there's several abstracts that are published through the nutrition society uh, so they're all accessible through there yeah
0: okay perfect we will indeed link to those in the show notes for people that are interested in having a a further read so your role as a nutritionist at the fire brigade um i presume that role didn't exist prior to you doing your research is that correct
1: Yes, that that's correct. Um, yes, I think that research, the MSC dissertation, really uncovered uh, the value of you know a nutritionist in the fire service. And I was able, after a few months of campaigning to the powers that be, I was able to um, get seconded to, to away from the fire engine just to be a nutritionist. Um, so yeah, and, and I think. You know, that's the way the the fire services are now, they're realising the power of nutrition. So my role now, I'm able to really have quite a widespread impact on all of the fire services in the UK. And um, I've written a nutrition strategy, which um, I'm starting to pilot in one or two fire services. So, yeah, watch this space.
0: Absolutely, and we'll come on to your current role just in a moment, um, but before we do, I wanted to ask, does your role still exist now that you're no longer working at the London Fire Brigade? Do they still have a nutritionist? And do you think that every fire brigade should have their own nutritionist?
1: I'm sad to say they don't still have their own nutritionist, um, and I, I, think, I don't think many fire brigades have official nutritionists. I know one or two, have registered nutritionists working for them in the capacity of uh, fitness advisors. So they their role, they're spread quite thinly actually in terms of uh, they have to conduct fitness testing. Um, they have to give advice on, you know, physical activity. Uh, so there's, I don't believe there are any dedicated registered nutritionists, uh, that are employed just to do that role in any of the fire brigades in the UK. Um, My my vision and and my, I guess, aim would be to promote that every fire service has their own nutritionist or dietitian.
0: And it sounds like you're doing a great job to work towards that um, vision because you're now working as health improvement lead at the Firefighters Charity. So for those who aren't familiar, can you tell us a bit more about the charity first of all and what their aim is?
1: So, yeah, the charity's aim is... Essentially, to support the health and well-being of the fire service community, uh, as I said earlier, that encompasses all seven firefighters, their immediate families, and uh, retired firefighters. Um, and this covers pretty much every area of health that you can think of. So, we traditionally the charity um, was a rehabilitation service. So, if you, as a firefighter, say so you had an injury. Um, you know, physical injury, then you could go to one of three UK-based rehab centres and benefit from a, a residential program. So, a week's stay um, at one of the centres, you you would receive physiotherapy. Um, you would, um, yeah, basically be rehabbed in a way. That then extended, I believe, from 2014 to mental health, and um, we've got a psychological. Health service now. Um, So, quite a few uh, psychological therapists working for us Um, at one of the centres in particular in Devon. So, that's Harkham House. Uh, So, if someone needs to say, you know, convalesce in terms of their mental health, that's there for them. And then, as of basically 2021, um, the chief exec, Dr. Jill Tolfrey, um, decided that we need to be more preventative. In our approach and not just look after people once they were injured. Uh, So that's where the Inform and Prevent portfolio of services um, was um, born and uh, and my role was created. Uh, I run a team of uh, wellness and behaviour change coaches. Uh, So that's a multidisciplinary team of six um, wonderful individuals. Uh, So I've got two physiologists, one physiotherapist, Um, two psychological therapists, and one positive psychologist. Um, So between us, um, we've developed a range of um, wellness and behaviour change workshops covering every kind of uh, topic you can think of in mental health, um, physical health, and also social health. There's there's quite a lot of crossover between the three. Um, So we deliver those to groups of um, fire service employees, um, so, groups of between five and 15. Uh, and we try and design the workshops to garner some sort of engagement, some kind of participation. Uh, and, and that's with a view to actually improve their sort of behaviour. So, there's one in nutrition and healthy eating, which I designed. And that's an hour workshop, and that's delivered to uh, groups of firefighters or groups of non operational fire service staff. Um, other parts of my role include uh, governance around the uh, health and wellbeing content that's designed. So making sure there's a quality assurance process around any health and wellbeing literature or articles that are created by practitioners within charity. Um, so the, the, the aim really is for um, our resources to be the go-to resources in terms of health and wellbeing for our beneficiary base. Uh, And also, you know, we we want to be seen as the go-to providers of all kind of health and wellbeing for our our, um, beneficiaries. So yeah, that's the aim of the charity.
0: And just out of interest, how big is the firefighting uh, workforce across the country? Do you know roughly? I
1: I believe it's um, around... 60,000 but that that probably includes the non-operational staff as well i'll uh, I'll have to look back at the uh at my data to answer that properly
0: yeah so quite i mean you're supporting a lot of people essentially is what i'm trying to get at through um through their health and well-being
1: well and their their families too so that's just mm. the people that are employed at the moment so it's a huge amount
0: yeah And I'm curious to hear, Greg, what's your vision for the future of nutrition in the fire service?
1: As I said earlier, I think my view um, for the future of nutrition in the fire service would be for every fire service to have a dedicated nutritionist which purely looked after nutrition of the workforce. Um, So, you know, I think we, we all know as nutritionists and dietitians the power of nutrition for both physical and mental health. Um, you know, it's arguably no greater influencer of health and nutrition. So it makes a lot of sense to do that. You know, you're only talking w- one member of staff, um, which I was, and I was able to do it in one of the biggest fire brigades in the UK. So that's really what I'd like to see happen. And then, you know, I think it, it, it would be really my goal to help guide those nutritionists and, um, you know, help them to roll out the kinds of programs that I rolled out in London Fire Brigade because I saw the impact, uh, the data's there. So, you know, it's all evidence-based. So, yeah, that's my kind of vision.
0: And for people who are listening, who might be interested in this particular area of nutrition, um, are there jobs out there for nutritionists and dietitians in the fire service? And if there aren't, how can they go about getting those roles created like you did?
1: I think the closest role that there is to a nutritionist or dietitian in the fire service would be the role of a fitness advisor, um, which seems to be ubiquitous. Pretty much every fire service has at least one of those. Um, So, you know, you can incorporate nutrition into that role. Um, However, at the moment, as I said, there, there isn't really an established post purely for nutritionists or dieticians in the fire service. Um, so if you wanted to create one, then I think um, doing it from within is how I did it. You know, I managed to – I was already in the organisation, so I had that kind of um, benefit, that, that advantage – so, from an out for an outsider, I think it'd be very, very difficult. But really, it's my job now. I see it as trying to influence the uh, the policymakers within the fire service to make that a legitimate role for every fire service. Uh, so, yeah, watch this space.
0: Yeah, you've got a big challenge on your shoulders there. Um- mm-hmm. I'm also aware that we have quite a lot of listeners who are lecturers at universities or place they, they're in charge of providing placements for their students. Have the fire brigade ever taken any student nutritionists or dietitians on placement before?
1: Uh, I think, well, there's, there's uh, 53 different fire brigades in the UK and they've all got their own, um, their, their, their own systems and their own ways of working. I know of uh, several that, yeah, they do take um, work placements and um, and I've certainly taken uh, several work placements from London Metropolitan University, who I'm still affiliated with. Um, and I've had some wonderful uh, student dietitians and student nutritionists and um, doing really, really great work helping me, um, which has been invaluable. So uh, I, I, that's something else um, that I will promote to um, policymakers in the fire service to, you know, really make use of these wonderful uh, students whilst they're students and then also give them the experience uh, that's valuable to them so you know everyone wins
0: and we also will link to your social media handles in the show notes so are you happy for people if they are interested in getting touch in touch with you to contact you whether it's about placements career opportunities is, is that okay with you
1: yep yeah, sure um yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how many more placements because I've got quite a backlog of those. But uh, yeah, I'm more than happy to to chat with anyone.
0: Yeah, Brilliant. Thank you. And finally, just before we wrap things up, um, I wanted to highlight your um, accolades. You are not just any old nutritionist. You are an award winning nutritionist. So <laughs> tell us a bit more about um, some of the awards that you've recently been awarded.
1: Um, Okay, so uh, the the two main ones, I suppose, um, well, I'll go for three. Uh, (laughs) Nutritionist of the Year 2019 uh, from the Caroline Walker Trust. Uh, That's probably my most memorable and, you know, that was amazing. And, yeah, I'll always remember that. Um, The uh, Nutrition, was it the Health and Nutrition Award? I've got to look at the...
0: Yeah, I've got it here in my notes. Oh, is this the- um, public sector catering health and nutrition award?
1: That's right. Yeah, public sector catering health and nutrition award, um, and that was really to do with um, improving the food environment at fire stations. So you know, directly to do with with that work, which is obviously dear to my heart. Um, and but I think before all of that, the first really big one was um, Nutrition Society. Um, best original, original communication at the uh, 2017 winter conference um, this was my first big presentation to I suppose a- other academics outside of um, my university and uh, you know it's quite nerve wracking didn't really know how, how it would go and um, lo and behold I managed to um, win the prize for that so that gave me a lot of confidence and, and kind of spurred me on to do what I've done, so yeah, really, really nice to um, have those things, you
0: know. Absolutely, a huge congratulations, and obviously, it's testament for all the great work that you're doing um, with the fire service. And hopefully, we will have inspired some of our listeners today and um, given them a glimpse into perhaps a, a more unique area of, of nutrition. So, thank you, Greg, very much for your time and for joining us today on the Dietitian Cafe um a huge thank you to new Ultra as well for making this podcast possible if you enjoy listening to the dietitian cafe please consider subscribing and leaving a review or five star rating so that we can reach even more health professionals you can follow new Ultra on social media at new Ultra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon